This is Talk is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Well, Greg, here we are, episode 120, and uh, this was a bit of a different one. Uh, I, I got over to the uh, HTTF headquarters to chat with uh Dan Buffett, the CEO of the Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation, and uh, we got to sit down and talk about conservation. We got to talk a little bit about wild sheep. We got to talk about the great work that the Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation does. It was, uh, and it's always nice to do these things in person. Uh, as you said, it like the audio quality is light years above uh, what we can do through the internet. So, um, and then just when you're there, you connect with the person, right? You can see their facial expressions and sort of their cues. It's so much better. Yeah, there's and you got no no risk of delay and you know just the vibing off each other. I hands down the in person's the way to go. Um, I'm happy you're able to get up to HCTF and talk to Dan. That's that's cool. They've been one of our biggest supporters for as long as I've been a part of the society, and they're always wanted to work with us and they support what we do and believe in us. And you know we we appreciate everything they do for us as well. Well, it's amazing what HCTF does like for conservation in this province. And, you know, this really is the model of hunters giving back, right? And uh, Dan and I do touch on that during the during the podcast. But, you know, I guess not giving back is the, the way, but we, we're paying our way for conservation, right? So the, the surcharges we get from our tag fees and, and the special permit that's sold down in Reno and, and a whole bunch of other funding pots all come together to go through HCTF to fund um, to look after BC's wild sheep, or I, well, sorry, wildlife. Not it's not exclusive to wild sheep. So, uh, very very cool program. I love it. I wish we did more of it. I wish there was more money there. I wish the surcharges were higher. Personally, I think that we should be paying our way even more. And please, no hate mail, guys. But uh, yeah, just you know, from a conservation perspective, the more that we can look after our wildlife, the better off we are. And I think uh, HCTF does a, a a darn good job of it. Personally. Yeah, and they're giving funds right back to conservation. Uh, you know, for those people that don't know, HGTF is was one of our biggest funders, if not the biggest funding partner for our transmission film. You know, they they supported that project through and through, and they allowed us to spread the good word of what we're doing for disease in our province, and you know the battles we're going through, and they're they're standing there toe to toe with us. So it's it's great to have them on board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on that note, so we talk about our transmission film. We've talked about it before. We've had Jesse on before, uh, the producer of it. We've talked lots about it. This past weekend, Jesse was uh, one of the, the main speakers down at the uh, Midwest Wild Sheep Foundation chapter uh, fundraiser uh, in Minnesota. Uh, he presented down there, showed the film. Uh, he said the the reviews were fantastic, and uh, he's been a busy, busy guy. And again, he's doing this on his volunteer time. He's, uh, of course, our director for the society, and he's traveling all over the province and just trying to share our message through transmission, make sure that the distribution was far and wide. And boy, we've we have done that. I'm, you know, that was the one thing is you make this amazing film and it sits on a shelf, right? And there's nothing worse than that. That did not happen with transmission. Um, the film was award-winning. Uh, we won awards all across the country and abroad. 
uh, we won. I, I can't remember what award we won, but we did receive award in Macedonia for the film. So um, really, really good outreach, uh, really good distribution, and and congratulations to Jesse. So what's our release date? When are we going live with this for the rest of the world to see? Oh, Mr. Bone dropped an egg on us the other night. Uh, March 28th, that film will be live to the public. And man, I'm excited for it. I'm also excited to to get rid of those questions we keep getting of when do we get to see it? Where do we get to see it? It's, it's, <laughs> it's coming. It's coming and we have a date. So, ladies and gentlemen, March 28th is the day. Awesome. So you're going to want to tune in for that. Share it with your family and friends. If you're a conservationist, get this in front of your non-hunting friends, your non-consumptive friends that maybe aren't hunters. Um, there, There isn't a hunting message in there. It's all about conservation, wild sheep, uh, looking after our resource, and this sort of challenge we have with domestic versus wild sheep. And there's certainly nothing out, uh, uh, nothing to do with, um, you know, controversy. We're certainly not picking on domestic producers at all. It's more of a collaborative message. I think it's a great one. And and domestic producers have been very receptive about this too. Um, you'll see the central character Jen Bows in it. Um, Jen's a huge advocate for what we do, and um, she's been a big part of our messaging and sharing this with the the domestic producer crowd and uh yeah it's just a really good message yeah it's uh the first time i saw it you know it it spoke volumes for what we are doing um if you don't if you have people that are on the fence about wild sheep society bc or anything to do with the conservation space like this film it 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 speaks volumes for us you know it it's a tough if you care about wildlife to watch that film and not shed a tear every now and then. It's it's one of those ones, you know. I'm, I'm a big big guy, and it uh, definitely the first time I watched that brought a tear to my eye. It's like it's powerful. It's a powerful message, and it was well done. And proud of what we accomplished, and the, you know Jesse and his team too. Man, that they hit it out of the park. Yeah. Absolutely. So we're talking about transmission two. We're pretty excited about it. But uh, anyway, you're going to hear more from us on Mar- about March 28th. Um, try and get a watch party together with some of your friends and family, and uh, it's going to be awesome. So I think with that, Greg, we've talked enough about transmission, but uh, I think we can send our listeners off to episode 120 with Mr. Dan Buffett of the Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Frontiersman Gear. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Frontiersman Gear, for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Well, good afternoon, Dan. Uh, just a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And we've been talking about this for a long time about having you on. And uh, you know, we've we've done quite a few podcasts now. We're like, oh my goodness, we haven't had Dan on yet. And you know, one of our biggest partners in the conservation space, and of course, the uh, Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation does such great work here in BC, so it's a pleasure to have you on today. Well, no, it's great, but I can understand, too, I've looked at some of your past podcast participants, and they're pretty pretty high-end sheep experts, so uh, you won't necessarily get that from me today, but happy yeah, to be part of, part of this, because, you know, as you mentioned, it's that partnerships, right, in the wild sheep, you know, whether it's the foundation or the society here in BC, I mean, you guys have done great work just leading and keeping the focus on wild sheep, whereas HGTF, we sort of have looking at lots of other areas but that's why i always think partnerships like this are just 
great when we're talking about fish, wildlife, and habitat here in BC. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk a lot about those partnerships and collaboration. But I think before we kind of jump into it, um, maybe let's just, uh, for some of our listeners that aren't quite as familiar with uh, HCTF, let's just start off there what HCTF is and what you guys do and, and why it's so important here. Sure. So so HCTF, so we're the Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation. We're a nonprofit uh, foundation uh, uh, here in BC, and really our focus is in proving the outcomes of fish, wildlife, you know, and their habitats here in BC. So, you know, our history goes back, you know, just over 40 years where, you know, the original funding came from the hunters, the trappers, uh, anglers, guide outfitters. And at that time, back in the 80s, a, a group got together and said, look, we're willing to pay a voluntary surcharge on top of our hunting licenses um, for for activities that are beyond what government typically does, like inventory. You know, and um, and so you know, this type of funding would go to things like habitat enhancements. You know, making better, creating better outcomes for uh, for wildlife and fish. And so, at that time, it was adopted. And so, you know, today in today's world, if you go out and buy a hunting license at twenty five bucks, you also pay a seven dollar surcharge. And so that surcharge comes to HCTF. So the government collects all the surcharge, and they come back, and then they put it with the Habitat Conservation Trust. So that's just a, a trustee and uh, as, as a trustee then the Habitat Conservation Trust Foundation we manage that funds that come in from surcharge and some other f- and some other sources and uh, get that out into the hands of people who actually are doing the work on the ground so we're really we've got twofold uh, um, really functions one is we bring that surcharge together with other sources of money and then we repackage that into grants to, you know, to anybody that's going to deliver good habitat on the ground for fish and wildlife here in BC. Awesome. So with regards to that funding, do you guys have a mandate where the bulk of it has to be spent each year? Or do you guys sit on it? How does that work for getting it on the ground? Well, no, and that's a really good point. We there, There's no specific mandate that has to, you know, it has to be spent. But, you know, that's the, the ethics from our board is we receive a little over five and a half million dollars a year from the surcharge. And usually we're approving anywhere from eight, 10, 11 million dollars a year in projects. So that money, that any money we bring in, you know, is going out. You know, there is funding that we manage that are endowments from the province t- to say manage conservation land. So there's an endowment we manage and the interest on that can go out every year. Um, there's some other funds that we've received from um, the federal or provincial government specifically for caribou. So they said, okay, here's $5 million and we want you to draw that down over the next five years. So mm-hmm. we'll manage that. But uh, yeah, when it comes to surcharge, you know, that money in, you know, the board budgets that. So, you know, by the every year when that money comes in, allocate it to all those best projects that come in and out it goes okay. into the ground. So uh, it's my understanding you mentioned it earlier that it's a board of directors kind of who comprises that who's sitting on that board typically like what representation not specifically individuals but who what type of people would represent Yeah and that's you know part of the 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 history of HCTF you know originally those 40 years ago it started in government HCTF and then in 2007 we came out of government and set up this board as as you mentioned and so this board first has six sort of uh, board members that that are represented by you know the province, BC Wildlife Federation, the the trap 
BC trappers, guide outfitters, you know, of BC. And so collectively, those six um, members then choose the remaining, you know, six, anywhere from four to seven members. And those four to seven members bring other expertise, whether it's academia or a particular um, expertise in fish, in wildlife, in governance. And so collectively, then you've got 11, 12 members, you know, on our board that sort of bring all that knowledge of fish and wildlife issues, um, the importance of those issues, sort of bringing in that sort of regional expertise, and all that comes together uh, to then be used to help, you know, identify, you know, what are the best proposals uh, to be funded each year. Okay. Um, And I guess one of the arguments I've heard along the way is that uh, people... Some people are a little reticent to give government funding and send, and trusting the government. They don't. Some people just, to be frank, don't trust the government with their money. But that's kind of one of the arguments for HCTF that it's outside government. So, is that why it was set out set up this way? And and is there do you, do you find that's an effective approach to it, or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah and I think that's you know again originally when HCTF began forty years ago, it was that really strong connection with the government. So government was able to manage or influence what funding went out. But as soon as we came out, uh, that decision was made for HCTF to come out of uh, government, you know, in 2007, then that then reduced or eliminated that influence or the hand of government to affect, you know, the amount of surcharge or what projects could be funded as well too. So I always feel that's always effective because you've got, you know, surcharge, which creates that, you know, a consistent flow of funding, you know, you know, due to due to the hunters, the trappers, guide outfitters, you know, and anglers in BC. And then you can use that money to then match maybe money that the the government has every couple of years, they might, you know, provide a certain amount of funding. And then you've got, you know, uh, other organizations like Wild Sheep, like Forest Enhancement Society, that you can then leverage those other funding uh, into into great projects at the end of the day. So I, I always think that, combination you know of like i say you've got some government funding but you still have that ngo side that sort of keeps the focus on the species the habitats you can bring in the government funding when it's there but in lean times you know still recognize that that surcharge is just is the basis of hctf and it's just always there and it's just that critical you know part of funding that just gives that opportunity then leverage all these other opportunities that occur over time Hmm. Uh, really good. Now, one of the things that BC is sort of, uh, I guess, lacking in, in my opinion, and I hear this all the time, is funding in general. So, you know, we look at some jurisdictions like Idaho and uh, Washington, for example, and we're uh, pale in comparison to overall spending, let alone per capita and a whole bunch of other things. And we could argue that we have much more abundant wildlife than them as well, and certainly much bigger landmass. So, um, you know, I, one thing I think is you guys should be getting a heck of a lot more money. And, and uh, I also don't see the surcharges kind of, you know, we see our taxes go up 6 7% per year and inflation and everything, but the surcharge is kind of status. And I know you guys don't set, set the surcharge, but why are we not getting you guys more money and how can we do that? Because our wildlife needs it. Yep. Um, and to further complicate that question, the whole concept of our licenses, um, all those fees not going to conservation is something that really is troubling for me, and I, you know, I'd love to see that change. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about sure. the funding model for us. Well, you're right, and it, I mean, you look at sort of what we have. So you know, maybe HCTF is say on average approving ten or twelve million dollars a year, and maybe some other, some of the other funding programs, the BC Fish and Wildlife Compensation Program, and others, they're adding another ten million. So maybe we're looking at 
thirty million dollars a year, forty depending on you know who you include there. But you know it's a magnitude of what's needed really to change change our habitat. You know influence influence sort of our land use out there and. And so it's, you know, it's not just, like I say, we, we just got the surcharge, you know, and you could look at, you know, the fishing side, fishing side of it, right? You know, their model is, you know, the fishing license side that goes to the Freshwater Society of BC, that surcharge on the fishing side comes to HCTS, HCTF. But as you mentioned on the hunting side, it's just the surcharge that comes to HCTF. And you've got, you know, that, that, that part of the actual license side that, you know, moves moves to the government, to, you know, to fund sort of as, as they, they see fit. So I think you've got, uh, yeah, if you've got a model where you're funding some things, yes, but it, it's surely, you know, we're, sh- we're falling short big time, especially when you come, as you mentioned, compared to a lot of the other jurisdictions, whether you want to look at that per acre of the size of the province, per person, uh, it's just a lot more funding needs to actually make uh, uh, a shift, whether you want to call it being able to move the dial in conservation. I mean, there's a lot of good things going on. Don't, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good projects going on in BC for a lot of species and habitats, but it's just it's just not of the magnitude that we really need to to reverse the trends that we see in populations, what we see on the habitat side as well, as well too. And, you know, there's some aspects we can improve conservation better by doing some better planning. But at, at the end of the day, it really is about, you know, money when I see there's a lot of good projects that just don't get funded or aren't able to be funded at the end of the day at the scale that we need to uh, here, in, here in BC. Well, and I'm sure you at the pointy end of the stick here with HCTF, you get all these funding proposals. And get, can you give me an example of how much you you see in funding requests and then how much you fund, just out of curiosity? Sure. I mean, generally we fund about half the proposals mm-hmm. that are submitted each year. So, you know, say on average, maybe we're receiving 400 proposals a year, about only 200 of them are getting funded. Mm-hmm. Some of those that are that you know, that aren't getting funded, they're just not technically strong enough. Mm-hmm. And so we've got some funding programs that, you know, provide some additional support that, hey, if you need to improve parts of your, your funding proposal, there's some additional funding to, to get that. So we've got you know, two components of those that don't get funded. One just aren't technically strong because when when we look at them, we've got a couple levels of evaluation within HCTF within our process. And, you know, we have technical teams that look at each proposal and look at the methods, the objectives, the timeline, cost effectiveness, just technically, can they even achieve what they want? And some proposals come in and just try to do too many things and, you know, they won't be successful. So those to get those don't get funded. But then those that are, are given the checkbox of, yeah, that's technically strong, that then moves on to our board. But there's always, yeah, a number of proposals that just aren't funded because it's just the funding just, just isn't there. And so we're, you know, we're probably talking in, you know, probably another million or so dollars or $2 million a year of projects that are good, solid projects that we receive that just don't get funded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's pretty, pretty disappointing when you hear that, that there's all this work that needs to be done and, and there's just no resources there. So, you know, with the government and the funding, um, and, and I don't want to get down a rabbit hole here, but, uh, you know, it's interesting, like, uh, there's, I think, $34 million in license sales a year or something like that in BC around just shy of mm-hmm. that 40, 40 million mark. And then, you know, only a certain amount's going to uh, conservation yep. work. Um, you know, is there any... 
you know, any way we can change that narrative. Like we, you know, we've talked um, with Together for Wildlife, they talked about, you know, moving this away from, you know, the government and kind of mm-hmm. creating a separate entity to, to sort of attract outside investors, right. if you will, because government, again, there's maybe a lack of comfort with government having, sending them money. So, you know, if we can bring this outside government, do a better job of that. So, you know, my biggest thing is how do we move forward and how do we find the funding that we need? And it, to, like I, I hate to say it, but for me, it's embarrassing when I look at these other jurisdictions and people ask us about BC and we talk about beautiful BC, yeah. but it doesn't seem like we're supporting it that way. And, and I know it's not an HCTF thing. You guys do more than anyone else, but uh, you know, our provincial government, I'd love to see them find a way. And, 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 you know, we look at these other great programs in the States like Pittman Robertson's yeah. and a whole bunch of other ones like that. Um, you know, I think we could do better. And, and, uh, and I think HCTF is a big part of that. I'd love to see you guys getting the funds because the work you do is, um, is phenomenal. Like your team and your support system and your board, um, nobody ever criticizes HCTF. I know, well, I'm sure you get a few phone calls that why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that? But yeah. as a general rule, um, so, you know, what could, what could, what changes could we make? You know, um, what are some of the easy wins that we could do? And I'm sure if they were easy, we'd have done them already, but do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the easy wins are what things we can do. I mean, I, you know, I, I think always, you know, if our projects can, you know, we get a lot of projects and a lot of the good pro or a lot of them are good, technically strong projects. You know, sometimes it, it would be benefit if we, you know, if you've got a, a certain species or habitat area and, and there's a some sort of plan in place that whether government's driven it or you've got indigenous nations, you've got, you know, a, a coalition saying, you know, this is the priority in either this geographic area or here's the priority in these sites for rainbow trout. Because I think then when those things are in place, then that can help, you know, uh, crystallize the 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 magnitude of the challenge and focus on that so then it's easier to pick out yeah these are the best rainbow trout projects or these are the best wild sheep projects you know given the context of the land so that's more about making more effective use of the existing resources so i haven't answered the question how do you get more resources (laughs) to the table but i think there's those efficient those that part of conservation can be in, improved um, and so we can get that funding closer and, and showing more progress I think in in a, in a certain area and I think that then help can help that can help then attract better funding because that hey we've got some great partnerships in this area you know this group is doing the enhancement we've got some protection going on with the province and I think that's you know one of the other aspects too is we can do a lot of great habitat enhancement work but if we don't have those protection of that habitat for the work that gets done there's nothing stopping 10 15 years later some land use change and and you know neutralizing those those habitat improvements that we've done as well so i think those are again you know if you can i think demonstrate the some more permanence of your investments to outside or outside organizations then you do have a better chance of of bringing in some some external funding so i think it's sort of cleaning up Improving your own shop first, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and maybe it's not first, but just cleaning cleaning part of part of your shop and how we deliver conservation. I think can can be a, li- a little bit better here in BC. Um, but I think also just having society on side of hey, we wanna we wanna come together and support more conservation. I mean, you've always had the hunters and trappers, outfitters. You know, they're 
you know, paying every year, volunteering on lots of projects, you know, putting money into hunting licenses. And I think, you know, still the public at large still have that disconnect with the habitat, whether, you know, they're in certain cities or they're not exposed to that. And that's, you know, part of the, you know, I think other program we have at HCTF in terms of our education is connecting kids with nature, you know, having those scholarships to, to support, you know, students that go to universities. Yeah, don't forget about fish and wildlife. There's lots, I know there's lots of other exciting things to do, you know, in universities or programs, but, you know, don't forget, you know, about the, about the fish and wildlife as well too. And I think that, you know, connection is good. And so things like, you know, the coalition, the Fish, Wildlife and Habitat Coalition that was initiated a few years ago in BC. I mean, I think that's, you know, bringing so many organizations together, um, you know, about, you know, the common goal of, you know, funding more for fish and wildlife and addressing some of the issues. I think, you know, that type of, you know, component we haven't, haven't really, you know, in my, I guess, career, not seen that at that level and, and what's, what they're kicking out and, in terms of being able to influence and identifying issues. So I think mm. those are things that I think more needs to be done there. So we start influencing the public. So whether you get into taxes or just recognition of the importance of that wild fish, wildlife and habitat in BC, that's going to be needed as well too, just to set things up. So when funding does come or people are more open, willing to open their, their pocketbooks if it's private or corporately as well too, that mm. there's just a common, more common direction um, between so, so many of the folks that are doing, doing the work, whether it's us at, as HGTF, getting money out to those that are doing all the work on the ground as well. Hmm. So like we, I just mentioned a little bit earlier, but uh, the Pittman-Robertson in the U.S. Yeah. And, you know, that's one thing we've kind of, sort of advocated a little bit for and talked a little bit through the society and we're not just the only ones but um you know it would be nice because there are other backcountry users non-consumptive that are you know hikers and yep. mountain bikers that are you know are quite um they have an impact on the landscape yeah, and maybe right. they don't physically harvest an animal and take it home and yep. feed their family with it or whatever the case may be but they're they're causing impact and that's one thing people aren't paying for that you know skiers um yep. uh, golfers uh you know, certainly mountain biking that sort of stuff and not picking any one recreation stuff that i love to do anyway yeah. but um you know how can we try and you know uh, you know and i'm not a big fan of taxes don't get me wrong but i also how can we put back to the resource so when we're yep. we're causing a disturbance on the landscape and you're contributing to that how can we give back to that? And I think we haven't done a very good job of that in BC, to be frank. I think that hunters care and they've they've been contributing. And I'm not saying people don't care, but I feel like a lot of other industries or maybe uh, hobbies or mm -hmm. user groups, for instance, um, they're maybe not putting in as much as they, they maybe need to. Yeah. Well, I agree. I mean, they can say it's not, not on the non-consumptive side. Yeah, it, it's, you know, they're they're using the resource and if there's a way for them to to contribute to the resource in some sort of, licensed non-licensed way like you say whether it's that that tax on on the uh binoculars and or access or you know maybe it's even a, a voluntary um license of of some of some of some um amount you know as well too just something that then just demonstrates and then again brings us all into more a common tent we all care we're all contributing you know when we all have a have a, a stake, you know, in what's going forward and because it's so often you can just go out and, you know, walk and birdwatch, you sort of forget what it really takes and, 
and cost to whether it manage that habitat or protect that habitat from from other other forces that are coming along mm-hmm. yeah. yeah absolutely well said um one other thing i was going to touch base with you on is is we do have this new strategy in british columbia that's together for wildlife strategy um how does how's that affected what you guys do here at hgtf has there been a significant impact or is it kind of just business as usual with together for wildlife well i think i guess in a couple ways i would say you know one is you know we we have received some funding from together for wildlife so they gave you know uh, provided a couple million dollars sort of over the last couple years for you know fish wildlife projects that we've been able to bump up our 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 grant output as well too so that's been definitely a benefit um you know when we've seen obviously a lot uh a few more projects that obviously have leveraged a lot of that together for wildlife funding from the government in projects so maybe that's a little means a little less fundings requested from hctf so the project still gets done but it's a little less funding from hctf because together for wildlife is funding it so i think those those are you know i guess two ways that you know i've seen the together for wildlife you know uh, you know uh, affect hctf both from an income perspective and probably a less demand because then there's le- a few le- few less projects needing needing funding from hctf hmm. so yeah. but i think i think yeah you know the 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 demand is still there so you know i definitely would say i think there's good opportunity you know when you've got hctf funding together for wildlife i still think there's still a lot of collaboration that can be done again to help deliver projects that are more than just very site specific that are more looking at the landscape it's like hey there's another funding source here you know let's get more more money to those on the ground that are doing uh, that are delivering these um, good projects but we can expand those good projects at more of a scale and make more make more of an impact instead of just again having lots of small little projects that aren't aren't as connected as what the, what they should be so again i think i think there's still some more work that can be done in the in that in those those parts with together for wildlife right yeah so you talked about collaboration there and i know that you know i i've been through the application process with hctf as the society and um yep. and the work we do and a lot of what you do is who are your partners you know yep. who's bringing funding to the table talk about how important that is and, and why it's so important with the, and you've touched on a little bit but let's go into that a little bit more yeah and i, th- I think part of it you know HTF, we always like to see you know partners in collaboration and and sometimes it's not there's not a magic number you know of hey this is leveraged two or three percent but what leverage does tell you is that that means there's other people willing to contribute money so um that means there's there's um strength that this project will maintain those benefits for a longer period of time it means more people agree that this project so it's not just uh, say an NGO group or it's not just the government it's like yeah there's agreement between all the folks that are have an interest on the landscape so I think that's the value of 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 what what that leverage shows when it comes in the door to an HATF uh, proposal and I think that's what the board looks at now there are some projects where you know, the justification is, look, nobody else is doing this on the landscape. We need HCTF funding, and it's a fairly high percentage of HCTF funding. And then that's that's when our board will be able to come in and our technical committees to say, yeah, we agree. This is a big gap. Nobody's funding this. And so in those instances, sure, the leverage isn't very high, but such it's such an important project that gets approved. And so that's why there's not a magic sort of score, but I think the, the value when you're showing other other partners are in you know obviously it lightens the load 
you know, but it also demonstrates that there's really strong support for this project and those benefits of that project creating are more likely to stay long term on the ground. And that's that's a big part too. You don't want these you don't want your the benefits you've created in a project to be eroded you know, by, you know, a decision that, you know, some other party has in, in, in that area. Right. And am I incorrect in saying, Dan, that there's kind of different pots of money, like there's a special sheet permit money and there's, you know, there's these different funds and that sometimes, you know, the, the funding will come in and maybe is designated for one fund, but it gets funded from another fund right. all within HCTF. Does that happen as well? Oh yeah, quite a bit. And that's, you know, earlier on we talked about these different, you know, funding pots, you know, there's surcharge, you know, the general surcharge funding. And, you know, as you alluded to, you know, we, there's a, a wild sheep permit from the premier's auction, you know, fund as well too. So that has its own separate pot. Um, there's funding from restricted sources. So we might get uh, funding from the province that said it's, this is specifically for caribou habitat restoration. Uh, Forest Enhancement Society say, yeah, we'll co-fund a number of projects, but it's got to be for wildlife in the forest areas. Um, we also get court um, court awards as well too. So the judge may say, hey, you know, this this either this company was polluting or you know this person was hunting without uh, a proper permit, and that money will come to HCTF with specific restrictions might be a specific geographic area might be a specific species things like that so when our when our projects are getting approved we've got staff in the background saying okay well what are all the restrictions let's move this money into this pot this can fund for this pot and then um you know so off so sometimes you've got a project with some sources of funding coming from different pots as well too and that's what so what i see one of the roles of hctf is we're doing this complicated sort of pulling money from different pots to fund these good projects at the end of the day and then you know as you alluded to as well too there might be you know in our wild sheep um uh, permit there might be say it's three hundred thousand dollars a year comes to that but we've got five hundred thousand dollars of projects that were really high priority of projects so we'll fund the first 300 and now we've got two hundred thousand dollars more of other projects of those remaining wild sheep projects and now we bring it over to other potential funding pots and see where those where those remain those wild sheep projects sit within the broader sort of wildlife projects and then our board and board will then make those decisions there so that's sort of again the I guess the the expertise and sort of what HC, what our staff do was sort of in the background just to ensure that we're getting you know the money to the best projects to get them out on the land um so then you know the experts can then and those that are delivering projects can do that so but mm -hmm. that's sort of that's the accountant side of things and there's some right. really good staff that have a really good mind for that very cool yeah um now with your funding cycle there you guys have an intake you have a deadline and then there's a review process and the, and the uh, and then you make announcements and then the money goes on the ground. Um, can you talk a little bit where we're sitting in that cycle right now and what's happening with everything? Sure. So I think most, you know, uh, people that are, that are listening probably are used to our, you know, our fish and wildlife projects. So these are our projects that are, you know, applied research, uh, habitat enhancement. Um, you know, if, if you're sheep, you know, look, looking at from a sheep perspective, those sheep health projects, you know, all those proposals, they, we have our intake in typically October, November each year. And as you had mentioned to the review process, you know, board approval. So we're just at the stage now where our board, you know, is, is meeting and then we're sitting down and, and looking at the final projects that get approved and maximize the amount of that surcharge money that's 
been provided to us this year and getting that out. So we're about just a few weeks away from getting the announcements, which typically come out late March and uh, and then early April. And then so then proponents know that and then they can start planning for their projects, you know, coming up this year. For some other projects like our land acquisition program, um, it's open right now. That's going to close in another month or so as we get into April and May. And then our board at the June board meeting, they'll make the decision on those land acquisition projects then. So, so we've got sort of each throughout the year, we've got different projects, you know, opening, but, you know, going back to it, you know, our main, you know, bread and butter when it comes to surcharges is that uh, November, November cycle and then approval um, coming up over the next couple of weeks. Okay. Now, Dan, you know, in wildlife, there's wildlife emergencies. There's things that happen, right? That there's die-offs or yep. whatever the case may be. We got caribou. That's kind of become an emergency, all of which we kind of seen coming, sadly, yeah. and and right. and couldn't do a lot to fix it until, um, you know, things got to a dire state. But, you know, if we did have, say, an emergency, let's say, I, I know you guys deal heavily with fish as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, a, a dam issue where yep. you know there's sludge in in or something like that, or a stream gets cut off, or whatever the case may be. Is there emergency funding, and do you guys very do that very often, where you're like, okay, here's $2 million, go fix this, and let's save those right. th- those animals? Well, yeah, I mean, we have a process that we call, a, you know, a, a, an out-of-cycle process, so, if, so you can apply to that, and usually it's, like you say, it's for those emergencies, so you've got to meet the criteria that, hey, is this, this an important population of species, and if we take no action over the next few months, you know, is there dire consequences to that? So if it meets those two, then you can submit a proposal, and then then the board will be, you know, um, up up to the, you know, them. You know, it'll go through a, a again a technical review committee stage before it comes to our board, and then our board will look at the technical re- merits of it, and then look at you know what's fun what funding's a- available, right? So if you know, depending where you are in that cycle throughout the year, you know, the board may have at its discretion more money than others. Um, typically, it doesn't, you know, to give you an idea, you know, maybe there's one or a couple, uh, one or two a year, so it's not often a lot where it's that real, you know emergency over the next you know couple months Mm. um but that process is there and then um you know depending on yeah the magnitude of of if it's sort of a site specific or a little bit bigger then the board can make the decisions on there on funding available as as well too but uh but yeah you know we had a a quarter word you know one year where it was a, a spill and and then you know that funding was provided and it was really you know, in the sort of half a million dollar area. And it's it's like, well, you really need to get going on that habitat restoration there because the habitat's really been hit pretty hard. So again, it's sort of that, you know, working with people on the ground that, you know, want to do the project, get the plans in place, get the proposals in place, and then try and get that money out. So sometimes it's, you know, the, the emergency is there to, you know, have to take, you know, action within that first couple months. And then sometimes it's like, no, we just... The whole process needs to be expedited there, so we can get going. You know, in you know, let over four or five months there on the on the habitat side too. So it's the board will then sort of evaluate or then evaluate each process, the impact. You know, and then and then uh, make make the decisions from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so on that note, you talked about you know, in, for an example, environmental disaster. How much do you guys see of that? So is it often where industry is sending money over for fines or penalties or? Or is it, I know obviously on the wildlife side and fractions yep. and stuff like that, you guys get funding there. Uh, but how often does it, that come from industry and is it a big chunk of your funding uh, stream? Um, it's 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 not insignificant, but to, to give you an idea, you, you know, usually we're 
probably under under half a million dollars a year. Okay. So so it's not we're not in the in the million dollar area and then off it's often really just it driven by who's prosecuting is it a is it a provincial level or is it federal level okay. so if the provincial level um then it'll depend on which act um they're being charged on but you know there there has been uh funding uh like is as i uh an example where there was a, a project um or not a project, but uh, in in the Lower Mainland where it was an oil, um, uh, a, a pipeline was busted and a bunch of oil um, ran, ran down into Brard Inlet there. So that was almost about half a million dollars yeah. there. Uh, there's been lots, lots of other examples around, say, hundred thousand dollar mark you know those come in you know maybe once every couple of years as well too to due to a pollution so those do come in but that sort of gives you an idea of sort of the amount and and the in the frequency hmm. okay cool um yeah I, I was gonna hit on something else there but i've kind of lost it but i <laughs> i want to segue just for a little bit and talk a little bit about about you and sure. so you're relatively new to to hctf but yep. you're certainly not new to conservation so maybe let's start off with you know, where you grew up and, and how sure. you got interested in the spot, because clearly this has kind of been your path for a long time. It wasn't just something you fell into late <laughs> in life. So I'd like to hear a little bit about that, Dan. Sure. Um, well, I'll, 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 I guess I'll, I'll go back just um, grow, growing up. I mean, I grew up just in the lower mainland there, just outside you know, in, in Surrey and sort of more hobby farm there. So I grew up, you know, we had, you know, we had domestic sheep just typical sort of hobby farm areas and lots of friends that were involved in agriculture friends that fished hunted so I sort of had that mix sort of growing up high school university you know as I went through to do my biology and and uh, I just that's when I started just you know thinking more about wildlife at that time um, and just sort of thinking and just seeing the connection between land and and species and I always had that I guess more focus on the land on whether it was you know when we were raising domestic sheep and just thinking about how grass grows and trying to create that production and that that just nutritional value and how the soil and all those processes come together and then as I sort of got into university just seeing on the wildlife management side of sort of plants and habitat that sort of I was sort of got real interested in and just seeing just those 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 connections that you don't realize when you're young in life and they just start coming together and I thought oh you know I I thought I really want to become a uh, I want to become a wildlife vet and I remember that I remember driving you know uh, finishing university each year and I used to take a drive down along the Fraser Canyon there and I was always looking for um, the bighorn sheep up on the mountainsides and it just sort of like uh, it just seems such an iconic just uh, uh, wildlife species and uh, so I tried to get into vet school for for a couple of years I just couldn't make the grade grade there so I thought well what's next and uh, I started working at Ducks Unlimited just as a summer student there and I was taking care of you know just vegetation management you know typical sort of waterfowl counts and again that connection with habitat just really resonated with me and we started just working in partnerships on on different types of um 
projects with fisheries and oceans and you'd have different experts that would come in on and you know amphibians and passerine birds and and just that connection of people working together and I would always just see just better projects would come together on that collaboration and so that was really instilled young in my life and as I worked through um, DU I worked through just a number of different stages of leading some waterfowl research areas leading our conservation program um along the BC coast and just being part of um, negotiating uh, private land acquisitions, designing wetland restoration projects, being out there with uh, with excavators and and uh, and uh, dump trucks building wetlands and I just that sort of connection to the land and just seeing the seasonality of species coming through not just waterfowl but so many other species there and I think that just continued on so I ended up being at DU for about a little over 25 years just leading their programs in BC and working with so many other partners and you know and you know I would do a lot of funding agree uh, funding uh, proposals to different organizations HCTF was one of them so I remember working with um Brian Springanotic, who was the CEO here at the time, and just just seeing that sort of strategic view of bringing partners together, looking at outcomes for fish and wildlife, just really resonated with me. And there's a few other, you know, just I think really forward-thinking folks, whether it was from the province or other NGOs, and that again that partnership, that collaboration, just really resonated with me. So then sort of making that step, you know, into HCTF after just seemed to be real, real natural as well at the end of the day. And, and, you know, and I think, you know, looking back, you know, just being having that connection with, you know, hunters and, and, and anglers and just seeing, seeing, you know, even when I was delivering project with HCTF, just or with uh, with Dex Unlimited at that time, just the connection they had with the land, the volunteer hours that they'd be out, you know, and it, and it wouldn't matter. And you just sort of see, ah, oh, you know, can you, re- you can really appreciate now where a number of organiza- organizations came from because, it, you know, as we talked about earlier on, it's just those people that are out on the land, they care about the resource, they want it here for years, and they just get really frustrated of like, why can't we change these trends because it seems fairly simple of there's some good projects you know we need to make some different changes in our in how we make decisions on the land and you could re- you could really reverse those trends so i think all those i guess all those pieces you don't realize as you're going through life you know how they're connected and then sort of later on in life i'm like oh that's why those that's the way those things end up being connected here so i think that's sort of you know, landed me, you know, or like I said, it was a natural step here at, at with, at H, HCTF. Hmm. Very cool. Um, one thing I was going to ask you, I remember now with HCTF, is there government funding? Do you guys apply for government grants? Um, well, it's, 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 it's not, uh, I guess in some ways it, we receive government funding for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think often it's more working with government to say, look, here's our program that we're trying to work with. Do you want to fund, you know, do you want to provide funding for this program? So, um, and then if it's a, if it's a yes, there's some some opportunity there. They said, yeah, that meets some of our mandate. Then we'll discuss sort of a an, uh, an agreement. And so they'll say, 
provides a um, certain amount of funding for these purposes. And so we'll sign an agreement that way rather than, you know, putting in, say, a proposal here, fund us for this. It usually starts on sort of commonalities, like, you know, where do we have commonalities on, you know, for us fish, wildlife, and habitat there? You know, and is, is there funding? Is this sort of going to meet, is this going to meet a mandate? And I think that that's usually how these, you know, funding I guess I'd call it partnerships or agreements come to get come together uh, with with the, with the province. Hmm. So something like that would it be something that you guys would would lead, or would that be an NGO leading something like that? Or you know, I know a lot of the funding you guys do, you get the proposal and and yep. you you know fund it out. But is there stuff where you guys will lead and say, you know, there's a prescribed burn. You know, one of our stakeholder partners that we I've yep. been talking with. Uh, there's they're working on a, a massive prescribed burn project um, like hundreds of millions yes. type thing um, is that something that you guys would get actively involved in or you would just say yeah we'll support it and then the NGO is doing the work on that or how does that process well, work and I think it, it sort of different there's been different models I mean sometimes you know in that type of circumstance they said you know they need need a, a an entity to sort of manage the money the government might say hey we have funding but we need an, an entity that's you know, going to be transparent, accountable, provide the reports. And sometimes and we can say, well, you know, if that role is needed, hey, we can, that can be our role. And then we can, that then that money can go off to the other uh, NGO. You mean in other times, you know, over the history with HGTF, it's been, okay, well, it, um, that NGO, the province is willing to put in so, so much money. And then HGTF and other organizations say, yeah, we're willing to commit to this over, you know, a number of years too. So it can happen in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm, I'm always sensitive of, you know, trying to say, hey, is there a good role for HGTF to help support that project and bring the expertise that we have on managing different funding pots or grants together? And if there's a role there, then, hey, yep, we, we, can, we can play that role um, in, in, in those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, one thing I was going to ask you with regards to your leadership. So um, Brian Spriganotic was the previous CEO and then yeah. you came in. When we get a change of leadership like that, we've got a very well-established entity in HTTF. You guys have been doing this for yep. 40 years. Do you, do you bring your hand in and you change the sort of direction of the organization or is it just like just soldier on like how much um, with you coming in yep. from the outside? I, I had didn't see much, right. you know, Brian was great to work with. Yep. You're fantastic. You guys are very transparent, very easy to communicate with. But uh, have you felt like you've changed the direction of the organization just a little bit or, or just kind of soldiered on in the same direction? Uh, you know, it's a really good, really good question. So it'll, it, it'll be interesting. So the, my perspective is, yeah, I mean, Brian's did a great job, you know, Rod Silver for him and Brian Springanotic. And this time, I mean, Brian brought HCTF out of government, like he made some monumental changes here, you know, a number of strategic plans brought in some new funding. So I think, you know, I was just really cognizant of of all that is like you know like you come into anything like don't mess that up yeah, and yeah. and and be able to just you know see all those strengths you know of that those things and you know keep doing the good things that are that are happening and then you know my role as i came in, it's like okay we have a new strategic plan it was that that last strategic plan was finishing and so the next one was about to start so that was sort of where i sort of had you know started working with the board and 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 others and staff on developing that new strategic plan and so that those sort of elements that came out in our strategic plan that came out last 
past year, uh, you know, are, are things, you know, there's always funding needs, at, you know, finding more diversification of funding. Um, we wanted to look at bringing new partners into HCTF. Um, we wanted to look at ensuring that our projects are more resilient, whether that's making projects that are more resilient with climate change and thinking about that coming in. You know, we've got, uh, you know, a couple key uh, initiatives to look at being a better grantor, like looking at the barriers that we have uh, that applicants, you know, will say, hey, you know, this is a barrier to applying to HCTF and trying to be more um, streamlining our our workflow and being a, a better grant administrator. Um, and we've got a specific uh, initiative as well as, you know, how does HCTF work and engage more meaningfully with Indigenous people? You know, it's hard because we're not delivering projects on the ground, mm -hmm. but how do we also incorporate that in, in you know, in, in our process? And, and I think that's, you know, uh, I guess I guess those are sort of sort of the next steps I see with HCTF is you know we've brought in some new funding with the province, continued on with some funding with Caribou um, Habitat Restoration. So we've brought in some new funding there, um, and sort of continue to improve and streamline the organization. So it's they're not substantial changes, but I think those are sort of the next steps you know here at HCTF, and then trying to work closer with partners. So again, it's getting. It's trying. It's supporting those projects so that you know the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. You know, I think is sort of a, a key part of sort of our next um, part of of what we do and helping helping create capacity for um, being able to deliver projects. Because now we're seeing that part, but just with people changing, you know, people regard uh, retiring, sort of the whole demographic shift too is we're losing. You know, there's some of that capacity to deliver projects at you know a certain scale um on a regular basis that being lost so in you know helping to ensure there's continued growth in the capacity to deliver projects on the ground as well too i think is is just sort of a it's not the most significant thing that we have to do but it's, it's just one of those components that we you know we see as sort of supporting also um, moving through conservation mm. yeah very cool okay great um one of the things that we talked about was collaboration and uh, when we talk about uh, project delivery um, you guys do everything from frogs to fish to deer to caribou to sheep um, how does that prioritize like um, is it like oh we got to spend x amount on this on like ungulates and x how do you kind of prioritize um, and uh, how much pushback do you get when you're you know funding an owl project for instance for example and hunters are saying well we're funding all this and yeah. we don't hunt you know not saying that hunters not everyone f feels that way but yeah. some people do so just curious how you guys and i and to be clear i think you guys do a fantastic job of doing a very balanced job i'm just curious how you guys manage all that well yeah because i think you know there's a, there's a couple things like you say you know uh respecting and looking and appreciating this the historical funding from our search right, for the hunters, trappers, anglers. So there there's a number of species that they have, you know, in mind and so I know collectively our board looks at, you know, things like wild sheep and sturgeon and moose, caribou you know, caribou, you know, steelhead, like those are some really iconic species that 
often you know demand sort of attention in, in terms in terms of in terms of funding um we also have under you know our own trustee and our the wildlife act is you know we're supposed to look at fish fish habitat wildlife wildlife habitat and biodiversity so we, we've sort of got that sort of aspect you know that's within our mandate and so yeah it is a bit of a, a, a balancing act but but often when we're looking at the bigger species like you know sheep and moose and others you know they're moving through and utilizing a lot of different habitats wetlands and forest and grasslands and so if you're protecting those habitats you're often protecting the habitats for you know some of these other species for owls not to say there's still certain features with owls and bats and you know amphibians that that's still needed in those and i think when there's technically strong projects to support those you know we definitely fund those mm -hmm. but i think when you look at you know some of these species that have wider range bigger diversity habitats by protecting those, keeping those common species common, although I guess you would say some of those common species aren't so common anymore, but keeping those common species common that we you typically would regard here in BC, that meets the need of so many other species there. So I think naturally then by, you know, keeping that philosophy in mind and, you know, as I mentioned some of the earlier, just focus on some of these key species, that's enough to sort of give you the flexibility to support you know a number of some of those um projects that deal with individual species like you say like the owl and the amphibians and bats and stuff um and still keep keep focus on a lot of funding going to these broader species because they are they are impacting quite the diversity of habitat as well too and so we don't necessarily have buckets of x dollars for this x dollars for owls x dollars for amphibians that would be a, night, a nightmare to do, but just by keeping this more, I think, broader um, approach, um, it allows us to sort of naturally sort of keep um, focusing on supporting those species that surcharge um, and our and our users are really focused on and still meet our mandate of, of, of just biodiversity, you know, as, as well too. So that's sort of, uh, like I said, it's a bit of a dance sometimes because sure, when funding gets tight and you know, talking during COVID as well too, when when numbers, when funding dropped quite a bit, yeah, those conversations still would happen where, you know, the board does have, you know, have to have to tell so then fixed amount of money, what projects do we see is the best use of, of, of that dollar at, at the end of the day. But, um, you know, I think the board does a really good job of, of that balancing by just keeping some of those broad um, principles in mind you know, when they're making their funding decisions. Mm. Excellent. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of your kind of your flagship projects over the last few years and kind of, you know, we've had the uh, great fortune of HGTF funding a number of our projects and a number of very collaborative projects. We've got a number of funding partners. Um, maybe talk about uh, some of the big projects and talk a little bit of the wild sheep stuff, stuff if you don't mind. Dan. Oh, sure. Yeah, and I think when you look at sh uh, um, sheep, I think we're usually kicking out about half a million dollars or so a year for for wild sheep projects. And yeah, I, I sort of think of them as sort of three categories. You've got sort of the, the habitat 
category habitat ones there where you're you know prescribed fire you know keeping that forage habitat sort of removing and you know moving in invasive species um, um, as, as well too so you're just creating that good forage habitat and there's lots of those going on whether you're, you, you know you're talking you know obviously we'd like to see more go on throughout BC on the prescribed fire side but I think you know that's a really core amount of you know of projects that we see each year you know whether you're talking the peace the Kootenays you know those areas you know then of course you know the other categories sort of the wildlife helps wildlife health side you know the uh, sheep health side so you know sheep separation projects you know looking at disease and management working with domestic wild sheep I mean I think that's another great category of 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 area around the canyon area and and spreading out in some other areas and then finally we've got you know the uh, or I guess thirdly, we've got that category of projects where you're, you're, you know, it's not inventory, you know, because that's the government responsibility is inventory, but you're looking at population and the con and connecting that with the condition of the habitat. So you're looking at impact of, of, of fire on those lands or, you know, is there, or what's the value in terms of the condition of the habitat grasslands, you know, uh, the, you know, um, intersection with force so you're you know trying to make better management decisions coming out come out of that and then finally you know we've got a couple um, land acquisition projects I know obviously while the society has been involved in a number of those whether it's with you know Nature Trust of BC or um, Southern in uh, Southern Interior Land Trust as well too mm -hmm. um, in in those areas and so I think you know those type of you know just really important projects that you know we see pretty consistently over the years, uh, you know, in those four categories are, are some key, are key projects. Um, you know, and then when you move beyond wild, you know, wild sheep, you know, a lot of, uh, project to do with, uh, with moose, similar thing, habitat management, um, health and condition, their population and their management as, as well to um, looking at the impact of silviculture and those practices on moose. That's Those are a number of big projects. We consistently fund a number of those uh, in BC throughout the year. Um, you could, on the fish side, um, you know, white sturgeon, you know, here in the lower mainland and, and up in the interior, some other key projects looking at the, the impact of, you know, juvenile. These are really long-lived leave, leave species, and so what's the impact of the juveniles and making sure that that population can, continues to sustain over time. Um, yeah, so you can continue on. It's just sort of, you know, bull trout, you know, um, as well too uh, in, in a lot of different uh, uh, species and rainbows as well too when you get on that fish side and so I think those are just really consistent projects of understanding sort of the population dynamics the habitat needs and then you know what's needed for their management over time as well too again you know making sure you know those those projects you know that were you know that there's funding in place to ensure that those outcomes for those species are you know being uh, not just managed well, but, you know, um, making good, you know, uh, decisions and making sure that there's, th the information is there for the decision makers to improve those outcomes for those fish. Mm, okay. 
So yeah, so there's I mean it's broad, pretty broad spectrum when you know whatever you want to look at um, in terms of a number of these species here in BC. But uh, you know there's like I said, you can get into small lakes and a number of different sort of habitats. We work there to you know for for dams. We support you know a lot of ensuring um, some of these dams that are holding that hold water back for the management of fish. You know that they're um, you know, inspected. Sometimes they need to be improved. So there's some programs we have in place for them, uh, for some aerators as well too, just to ensure that the, you know, those those uh, conditions for for fish and, and lakes too aren't uh, aren't detrimental as well. So those are just, I guess, we've got sort of the iconic ones we was talking about a bit earlier, and then just sort of regular sort of annual sort of work that just continues to go on that we fund as well too. Mm, okay. Um. I think you said earlier, and I, I'm pretty sure I'm familiar with the, the policy that you guys don't typically fund inventory, right? That's the government's that's job. Government. So, so you're not going to, somebody comes to you and they want to fly and count sheep in the right. province, That's you're not going to fund that. Well, exactly. And then I think that's, you know, trying to make that sort of stipulation, you know, we're not, we're not here to fund inventory. That's the provincial, that's the provincial governments. They need that for setting their regulations, things like that. You know, where there is, you know, times that we have funded, you know, counts is when there's a really strong connection with a management decision like it's needed for a management plan and some management decision and so then our board really looks closely at that say okay guys is this is this you know government responsibility um you know you know you know yes or no but those are times where we have funded you know those projects that have a really strong connection with you know an outcome that would be would improve for for uh, for wildlife as well too so our board is definitely sensitive to you know in making that um, decision as, as well too. Okay. Um, throw a little controversy in here, but uh, predator management is always a hot topic. Do you guys have a policy on that and funding anything like that or how does it work with that? Yeah, I mean, it, for us, you know, we, we've we've generally sort of uh you know do we have a policy i mean we don't have a have a policy at that but you know if you took you know the say uh, the an example on the caribou side mm -hmm. you know we you know we said you know at the end of the day you know caribou is just they've lost habitat mm -hmm. you know that's the issue that's the habitat issue so you know we feel our funding and any money that comes through us it's like we'll work on restoring enhancing you know improving habitat not for predator management so that's the government you know and others can can fund those, those type of projects but you know when the you know looking not just at the symptom but what's the real cause and in this case it's it, it pretty clear that it's it's habitat and one can argue this what what sort of short-term emergency is needed in the short term but from our board perspective it's like no again looking at that that dollar, if that's going to be invested, you know, where's the best place for that dollar? And are we going to see that return in 5, 10, 20 years as well, too? And that's where we see, you know, in that example or in that situation, you know, habitat is is the place in that area, not predator management. So that's sort of, and we sort of take each, you know, situation, I guess, the, you know, um, sort of one by one that the board will look at it and make, make that assessment there. But generally, you won't find, you know, that you know, HCTF is funding those short-term stopgap solutions. It's really about you know what's what's the underlying cause, mm -hmm. and that's where we're willing to put you know that's where we put put our put our funding. Cool. Yeah. And then on the flip side of that, do you guys ever fund like a grizzly bear program or anything like that? Do you guys have projects like that that get funding from HCTF for enhancing maybe a, a predator? 
Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think when you're again, we've, you're always taking it back to habitat. Right. Okay. That's that's a, that's a key right. part of that. You know, we've we've funded some, you know, some other, uh, you know, one of the the other, I guess, funding areas that we that we that we fund is is the people side and the people part of conservation. We've got called stewardship, where it's encouraging people to be part of the solution and. And the other part of the people side is on the grizzly bear side, where sort of the coexistence of grizzly bears and people, and that in those in those interfaces as well too. So mm-hmm. we've supported supported some good science and some some good demonstrations of you know what are better ways to to um, to um, uh, to coexist with with bears on sort of on a demonstration with the idea that we'll support you know that demonstration getting it up and running and then from there when it becomes an actual program that's where government and others need to fund as well too so we may Mm. sort of in that short term fund those type of programs as well too um but uh but yeah you know i think in general like say when you're looking at habitat you know enhancement of you know of predators and and what what are ways to again going back to you know, protecting that habitat, enhancing that habitat. You bet. I mean, that's that's within sort of the per, the purview of, of HTF funding. Cool. And yeah. on the academia side, do you guys ever find like you're you know, obviously you'll fund coloring projects and and stuff like that, which you've done with us. Yeah. But will you fund uh, like a study, like a master student that is maybe studying? you know, bighorn sheep or whatever the case may be. Do you guys, is there funding projects for that as well? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think often, you know, we do, you know, there's, there's a couple ways that that comes to HCTF. Sometimes it's, it's with a, an overall um, program, sort of an applied science program where like you say, you're doing the coloring and there's funding for a student to do that work in amongst funding to, you know, due to the analysis and, and other work as part of that applied science. And then uh, recently we've started um, providing scholarships for students in fish and wildlife here in BC. So it was in the name of um, Al Martin, who was a, who was a previous board member here at HCTF. So we have uh, two, two scholarships we award every year um, for students in, in their master's and PhD. So that's just for them to do, um, you know, their, their schooling and, and project as well too. So then that's a, another way um, that, uh, you know, students and um, can be, you know, can be funded for, for projects like save coloring and, and other things like that in academia. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I know I've taken a bunch of your day here, but before we wrap up, is there anything um, on the horizon for HTTF? Any changes coming up? Any uh, anything that uh, we're going to be seeing from you guys that we need to to be paying attention to? Or uh? <laughs> well, I I don't think there's there's not significant. I mean, we're still driven a lot by our strategic plan. I mentioned a little bit earlier, and in, in collaboration, you know, as part, you know, as a key as a key part of that. And you know, I think you know one of the things we're doing is just improving our grants and clarity you know looking at streamlining those grants so there's nothing there's no 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 big sort of intense and um big projects on the on the horizon but i think those type of projects where we're showing collaboration you know working more with forest enhancement society or wild sheep society you know on on silviculture and trying to you know i think uh, integrate you know, those parts of wildlife habitat objectives in what we do whether it's silviculture or, or anything else i think those are opportunities i think in the in the future that i think um you know would would be a role that hctf 
can look to play, you know, with, with some other partners as well too, because I think, you know, beyond just site specific projects as we can influence sort of the broader working with those, you know, making decisions in the landscape, making sure those wildlife habitat objectives are included within the decision making. I think that creates, you know, that's sort of the next step of I think conservation here in BC where then you can really start seeing impact at a much broader scale than just at you know at each site or within each small project. So I think those are opportunities that we all have um, to come together on you know for conservation in, in, my, in my mind. Hmm. Well I love your message about collaboration and working together we need to to get after it we need to be all on the same page pulling the same direction and uh, so, you know, I certainly love what you guys stand for, and uh, you just do a fantastic job of supporting our fish and wildlife on the landscape. It's great. Yeah, well, that's great, Carl, because, I mean, I think those are, like I say, those collaborations with the society and others, you know, that, you know, those parts are so important because they continue to provide the spotlight on those, whether it's iconic species, but those iconic species also represent really important habitats that BC is known for, that often don't exist in other areas as well too so whether you're looking at it from the species side or the habitat side it, you know that's that role and i think HTTF we can play a good role at what we do and then that you know helps you know uh, others be able to and continue on in the roles that they do whether it's delivering stuff on the ground shedding shedding light and and uh, on these species and habitats as well too that's all i figure it's all like i say all pulling from the same team in the in the in a constant direction Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dan, for taking the time to talk to us today. And uh, just a pleasure to be a partner with HGTF and look forward to a lot of great work in the future with you guys. Thank yeah, you. Same, and same thing on our part. I think that's the thing. The future always in my mind is always some great opportunities and, you know, things like podcasts and, you know, and other things just bringing us together just to remind us, hey, we've got we've got a lot more in common than than uh, than not. So that appreciate you, uh, you know, putting a spotlight on HCTF uh, today. So thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks.